0: let's do it dude welcome to svu pod (laughs) welcome to svu pod especially heinous i'm gabe
1: i'm tasha and gabe has her nails painted really cute
0: yeah i did i painted them red
1: oh great thanks
0: i just had the left hand done because i usually just do the left hand because i can't do the right and then i was like nope i'm doing it
1: and i did it it just brings you to a whole nother level
0: All right, we are on season four, episode nine, Juvenile. Bong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right, so the opening scene, the music is all intense and it's raining out and a dude answers his phone. He hangs up and he's like, okay, we're on. And a bunch of NYPD SWAT dudes jump out of a paddy wagon and head into an apartment building guns drawn.
1: I spent this entire time that they were filing in looking for our little cutie World War II baby SWAT with the mustache.
0: Yeah, I didn't see him. But like,
1: you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see anybody's faces. It was yeah.
0: intense. Plus, these are like narc- narcotics guys, I guess. Although he should be there. I don't know. I don't know what he, he does. He
1: should be there. <laughs>
0: So they bust into a dark-ass apartment, and they're like, somebody was already here. The apartment's been tossed. They never
1: turn the lights on.
0: Which... Yeah, which I didn't understand that. <laughs> Not even like a flick, 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 oh, the, the light doesn't work, you know?
1: Right. They're like, look over here, and they're like, how? It is pitch-fucking-black in here. Turn on your gun flashlight or something. Your gun flashlight? <laughs> Guns are basically Swiss Army knives, right? They are. Yeah. There's it's a like, toothpick in there. <laughs>
0: There's a cheese grater. They're, like, all at a cafe, and he's like... Also, parmesan that's the most american thing i have oh i fucking hate it say when <laughs> this isn't this isn't funny right it's now it's not funny it's disgusting
1: ever i hate it oh, call your okay. senators
0: right one of the dudes finds a body covered in a sheet they're like, fuck, we gotta call an S V U. And then some other guy's like, We are not handing over this bus to them. And the first dude's like, Don't worry, I got a buddy. And we're talking, you know, Toots used to be a narcs. Mm-hmm. So now Toots is in the apartment.
1: He's wearing a hat that he's trying out, clearly. I don't love it. It's like
0: a little feather. It- like, was he on a date? Was he on like a date that the the lady was really glad that somebody had to take him away? Is
1: that <laughs> Is his hat the equivalent of Benson showing up in like a slinky dress? I don't know. I don't love this hat, but mm-hmm. he obviously borrowed it
0: from Munch, so at least we know they're not fighting anymore. <laughs> don't look at the feather. Don't look at the feather. Don't look at the feather. <laughs> so this dude used to work with dudes in Narcotics. Narcotics got an anonymous tip that someone was dealing in this apartment. So they were watching it for a while, and there were a ton of people coming in and out. So they were like, we got to fucking show up here with our guns. What's that called? Rated, Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he thinks that this woman was raped. And Toots is like, he says, why did you call me personally? Rape homicide always goes to SVU. This guy says that it's a big collar for them and he wants to make sure his dudes get the credit. And Toots is like, oh, great. You get the glory and we get all the work. You're saying this Susan Ostryka lady is a big drug pin? Where the fuck are the drugs?
1: So I know you did this for like continuity's sake or whatever, Uh but he actually says, you're saying this Laura Ashley is a big drug pin? So I threw my Googles on because I was like, they don't know her name yet, and he's making a joke. I
0: thought her name was Laura Ashley, so I ended up having to go back and changing the name like five times.
1: (laughs) I, I realized that through your notes, so I was like, We've gotta note that what her real name is. We don't find out till much later, but he calls her Laura Ashley. Laura Ashley's a Welsh fashion designer and business person. It's a clothing company. It's you know, she does other designy things. Her vibe is described as classic British smart casual. Mm-hmm. princess diana wore her shit it's just a very interesting pull for toots is what i'm Your trying to say. Type? Yeah, yeah yeah like all the prairie shit that's going on like she's it's floral prints it's all this stuff it's just it was just a weird thing for toots in this hat no less <laughs> to be like fucking laura ashley over here and it's like what
0: so then this dude is like you haven't even taken the tour yet dude. shows him this i don't know where this lady lives but yeah is this her apartment basement <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's it's this room that is humongous, and it's got a ton of like plants, like weed plants. It's a big ass grow room. Yeah. And then I'm like, big deal. Okay. Right. It's like 200 plants, but none of it is stolen
1: and this is where i was like we need to address the size of this grow room it's bigger than like six new york city apartments she's and i'm like how much money can she be making big huge money for this to be worth the space in new york real estate numbers but then the narc guy says this amount of plants could pull in a couple hundred thou on the street but i'm like But if you do the math on what rent costs, I don't know.
0: I could see them being like, here, let me take you up to the roof in this makeshift room that this lady made. Mm -hmm. Or, like, let me take you to this storage unit she's renting for $50 a month. Yeah. Or something. But it it just didn't. I was like, where? They're like.
1: Come through this door in her tiny apartment That we still haven't turned the lights on in And it's this glowing fucking
0: Elementary school gymnasium Yeah, it was insane But that's what happens with drug addicts Who are addicted to weed Man All right. Theme song. Now Benson is Stabler in the apartment talking to some CSU dude.
1: We see this guy a lot. He's in 10 episodes of SVU, 8 as CSU tech David Layton. He's giving me young Jeff Garland. He's also the first I've seen that's been in all four of the Law & Order franchises. That includes organized crime.
0: Okay. This lady's name is Susan Ostryka. I'm not saying her last name ever again. Why? I'm just not going to. It, oh. at, at the time, I was like, "I'm not typing that out every time." Yeah. O s t r e i k. Like Smith is fine, but her name is Susan. She doesn't have a last name for the rest of the episode, as far as I'm concerned.
1: We all choose the hills we die on. I, I also <laughs> don't. Is, I. It's not a thing that we do every other episode. Where it's like, I know that we say everybody else's first and last name throughout every <laughs> episode of the show. I'm making it a point that I'm not fucking saying her last name. We yeah.
0: <sighs> there was a Susan. K in it, and I was like, nope. Like in the middle, <laughs> you know no uh i'm not making my fucking ring finger do that shit (laughs) susan was killed between 9 a.m and 2 p.m she had been stabbed 30 or 40 times benson thinks this is overkill so she thinks that the perp knew her or it could just be some psychotic rando so the dude got in through the fire escape window and probably walked right out the front door they did find fluids in the rape kit and they couldn't find a murder weapon so they think he took it with him It looks like she was stabbed with a three-inch, single-edged, non-serrated blade. Mm -hmm. And it happens to be the same knife that's missing from Susan's kitchen thing. Little knife block thing. But he did leave behind this giant, heavy thing that he used to knock her out in the back of the head. Stabler thinks that she must have surprised him, and he hit her with whatever he had on hand, went to the kitchen, grabbed a knife, and then stabbed her a bunch.
1: Which they thought was weird.
0: Yeah. Covered her with a blanket, and then barfed. There was like a little bit of puke on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to send in the puke to the Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't I just say vomit? I can't. It's either barf or puke. <laughs> they're going to send in the yak to the Emmy. <laughs> they're going to send in the puke to the Emmy. Puke is such a fucking awesome word, just like pork. <laughs> it's
1: just, I would say it's better. I like the Y sound with the U. Puke.
0: Puke. They're going to send you in the... Put, you put the
1: U in puke. <laughs>
0: they're going to send in the puke to the emmy to compare with the stomach contents of the victim just to double check if it's hers or not they also trace the anonymous tip to the next door neighbor woman now they're at her apartment she is pissed that they are there because it's like an anonymous tip which is kind of funny because she's like um isn't it anonymous like why are you here yeah. <laughs> you know and it's that fucking lady from ozark remember her
1: i never watched ozark I, oh it's like God. next on my list at- as soon as they stop putting out new stuff, I'm like, I gotta start watching Ozark. Oh my god! So John actually tried to start, and I was like, What are you doing? This was like <laughs> two years ago. I'm like, Come on, I want to watch. That. So he still hasn't watched it either. She plays Darlene Snell, which Darlene, I don't know yeah. what that means, but I I, I looked she it up. She
0: is this fucking lady that owns like the poppy field with her husband. Oh, she's fucking nuts.
1: Yeah, she's cool. I I liked her in this. I liked her Uh, to a a degree. She's
0: got a unique voice. Mm. Also, there's like this little tween watching in the background. So we all know it's this guy. In my mind, I was like, it's this fucking turd because he's like side looking, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This lady says she feels bad about Susan, but she was a criminal and was asking for it. She She said that Susan was always hot boxing the apartment building like it always reeked. Then this woman, without even looking back or breaking eye contact with and Stabler, says, Mark, get in there and brush those teeth now. And this little dude, mm-hmm. like, scampers off.
1: She's a very relatable character to Mom me. Mom
0: move, I'm sure.
1: Right now. Mm-hmm. Besides the Karen ass being pissed about the neighbor always sparking up. She said that and I was like, ew.
0: <laughs> she says she reported Susan because of the smell and because people were always coming in and out every day and night banging on the door. This lady didn't see any, like, money exchanging hands or anything. Mm -hmm. She says that Susan hasn't worked in over a year and has to be selling because she has a ton of money.
1: Pretty invested in this neighbor lady.
0: In the ME office, Coroner Warner tells Munch and Toots that the autopsy is done and she finished the rape kit. She found out that the perp didn't have sperm. Munch fucking literally says, pathetic. I'm like, wow. And she's like, dude, I'm not talking about low sperm count. She's talking about... Azuspermia. Coroner Warner tells him there's a few diseases that can cause that or he had a vasectomy and then I'm like or oh, it's that teen that was in the background whose balls haven't dropped yet <laughs> with them little yeah. baby nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Them little baby nuts. <laughs> Jesus. <Yes. Gross>. Baby. <laughs> they still can get DNA from the skin cells and the lab is working with the barf.
1: That kid is the bone that dog Gabe has her <laughs>
0: teeth sunk in on. <laughs> They still can get DNA from the skin cells and the lab is working with the barf. (laughs) Fucking forty years old is making (laughs) music. What's his name? Ralph It's the perp's puke because the Vic hadn't eaten in hours. Corner Warner says that the Vic would have probably died within a year because she had advanced ovarian cancer. Susan had been undergoing chemo. That's why she was smoking all that pot and not working.
1: Oh, how's that righteous ass now, Karen?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Munch tells them that she might not have been growing it to be a dealer on the streets. That there's a lot of medicinal marijuana clubs and they've been popping up all over. Toot says if she was running her club, then there has to be a list of members.
1: In the squad room, everybody's chatting about how many people are going to this Vic's house. In her day planner, it says over a hundred people, but she only uses their initials. Munch says it's probably a schedule. Members take turns tending the crops. Cragen's like, how the fuck do you know so much about this shit? And Toots is walking by and goes, 25 years on the job, but he's still a damn hippie. (laughs) All right. Toot's got the luds on Susan's phone for the last six months. They got to match the names to the initials in her planner. And he goes, and weed out the potheads. Ew. And he looks around. And right? Everybody's like,
0: pass. You fucking puke.
1: <laughs> it's not going to be easy for someone to give up the other members. Toots says that they just got to threaten them with a narcotics charge, and they'll probably talk. Can we, like, note that it's called narcotics i know and it's weed it's i mean it isn't
0: a narcotic isn't it's it's crazy how i think it's still in schedule one with like heroin
1: well it's got to be different in different states now that there's fucking there's literally weed legalized across the border from our state it's just so fucking stupid and people in jail for weed and it's just oh my fucking god i know so tooth says that they just got to threaten them with a narcotics charge and they'll probably talk munch says threatening cancer patients now that's why i became a cop Toots says they're breaking the law. I don't care how sick they are. Boo! Yep.
0: I mean, there's people that are literally, like, medical refugees, like, going to different states to be able to have weed for their shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't even. Yeah. I
1: can't. Munch is pissed. So he and Toots get into this bullshit about why marijuana is illegal in this country. Munch is just trying to educate him. He is not incorrect in this. And it's, it's just... All about money. Yeah. It all comes down to fucking money and who's being.
0: That rope know, guy. I can't remember his name. Rope guy. The rope guy back in the day that, like, he was. or he paper or rope or something. It, it had
1: to do with hemp. It had to do with, like, hemp being cheaper to produce and. How versatile
0: yeah. it is and how it was threatening this guy's business, like, forever ago.
1: Yeah. So Munch is pointing out that alcohol and tobacco are also drugs. And he's like, what do you call that? And Toots is like, legal. Okay, okay, black and white all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Benson found a match to the initials CK. It's Cindy Kerber, but it could also be Charles Kelsey or Christian Kessler. So they got to sift through these people. Mm -hmm. So now Benson and Stabler are talking to Cindy Kerber. Oh, my God. It's Alicia Reiner. She played Figueroa on Orange is the New Black, executive assistant to the Warden. Did you remember. watch *Orange Is the New Black*?
0: Yeah, like a season or two. I have. Yeah, i have never caught Shoot. up. Is it? Is it Shoot. done?
1: Yeah, it's done. It's oh. been done. She was Pork and Caputo, and nicknamed him Beer Can because of his girthy dick.
0: Who's Caputo?
1: Uh, the warden. I don't he remember. was a. He became the warden. I don't know. Anyway, Pork. He was in a band. What was his band called? Wait.
0: Wait, a band in the on the show. Yeah. Pork and Caputo.
1: <laughs> Pork and Caputo.
0: Pork and the Caputos.
1: <laughs> it was called. <laughs> It was called
0: Sideboob. <laughs> no, was it? Yes it was. Oh, that's a great name.
1: Yeah. So, she's very familiar to me. Here she's very young. She's a young girl who's working on a photography set outside. They tell her that they know about the club. She says, "Well, then I assume you know what we were growing." She tells them they're not hurting anyone and they're definitely not making a profit. She refuses to give any of the names of the people that she knows and doesn't think that anyone in the club did in any way. She's like, we're all fucking sick from chemo, you idiots. And mm-hmm. the weed is the only thing that controls my tremors for my MS. She doesn't know why anybody in the group would try and kill the lady that was helping them. I mean, she's handing out nothing but logic to these fucking detectives. Right.
0: If they're not making a profit. How the fuck was Susan paying for that apartment? They never addressed that. But anyway, it
1: never gets addressed. Yeah. Here we are. She did say that there was some trouble with a husband of a woman who was in the group. The woman's name is Becky. Cindy tells them that Becky's husband threatened Susan for getting Becky hooked on drugs. (laughs) Becky was dying of breast cancer and her husband didn't want her smoking weed. She was dying of breast cancer Mm -hmm. and her husband didn't want her smoking weed. Mm -hmm. Becky was afraid of her own husband because he went to jail for breaking some dude's back in a bar
0: fight. This guy's a piece of shit. Yeah.
1: Outside of some building, Munch and Toots are talking to Becky's husband. And he's like, I wouldn't touch that bitch. Talking about Susan. He's a big old dummy beefcake with a sloppy accent. I hate Mm -hmm. him immediately. (laughs) He said that he did his five years in jail and now his wife's dead. I paid what I owed. Fuck off. Mm -hmm. He goes on to tell them that he didn't want drugs in the house because he could have been busted for parole violation. He was working 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. with no lunch breaks. Now he's done talking. A scoot scoot. Mm -hmm. Cut to Benson and Stabler in a restaurant now. Stabler's eating a burger and fries and Benson has a sad little salad on a paper plate. I hope at one point in this meal, she was like, could I snag a couple of your fries? And then she just ate most of them. Yeah. Benson gets off the phone with Munch. Apparently Becky's (laughs) husband's alibi checked out. Benson also now thinks that it wasn't a member of this club who did it. If Susan's neighbor thought she was a drug dealer, maybe someone else did too. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, in the wrong way. And they're like, we're going to fucking rob this bitch or whatever. Yeah. All of a sudden, Coroner Warner walks in. Stabler goes, an M.E. out of the morgue must be big. We see her out of the morgue all the time. I know. Like, what are you talking about? She starts telling them about the barf lab report, the puke lab report, the lab report on the barf puke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the puking report about the barf. <laughs>
1: She comes in hurling guts about all the puke barf report labs.
0: She's like, I got a barf about that puke lab report.
1: You guys, I couldn't wait till so you got back to the ME office. So I came here to your lunch.
0: <laughs> I got a barf to pick with you, sir. <laughs> she,
1: they're like, what do you got? She's like, hang on.
0: <laughs> she, it's just like
1: a rolled up scroll. She pulls out of her mouth. It's, it's the lab report of... About uh, barf. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I love you, when you don't have any more. You're just like, okay, move on. <laughs> She's like, hey, I've got this lab report and it's about puke. And Benny's like, I just wanted to eat a few bites of this weak ass salad and now I guess we're going to talk about your
0: barf report.
1: Corner Warner's like, okay, so. My daughter's in sixth grade, and we're
0: like... She has a daughter? What? Okay.
1: Her daughter had the exact same meal for lunch at the school on the day of the murder. Okay. She mm-hmm. called the school board. Every single middle school in Manhattan serves the same lunch. She's like, I've got the menu on my refrigerator. Yeah. No sperm in the ejaculate, Stabler says, with a f- <laughs> full mouth of burger. He's like, fair no sperm, not Dracula? Shit! They're looking for a kid! Gabe, you fucking wizard
0: sleeve! <laughs> it's not the same. That's not, not a wizard sleeve is a. I know. <laughs> Gabe, you softball mitt full of Arby's beef! <laughs> what is happening in the squad room everyone's all there huang says that the perp being a kid makes sense with how disorganized everything was at the crime scene the stabbing could just be the kid not knowing how to kill and doing what he thinks he should do to kill just stabbing a bunch Mm -hmm. and the rape could be sexual curiosity and i'm like gross huang says to look for a boy who has a history of fights in school, maybe some vandalism and some risk-taking behavior. <laughs> the walks up with a fucking gigantic apple. It's the biggest apple I've ever seen. Like, GMO apple.
1: It's a Macintosh <laughs> apple. Gross. It's the most <laughs> 1980s apple ever and I can't explain that any further. That's
0: just... Yeah. And it was like right after he just ate his food and then I was like, is he pregnant? Is he phantom <laughs> pregnant for his wife because he's so in tune with being a dad? <laughs> <laughs> he feels pregnant pains, pregnancy pains, because he's such a good dad. Okay, Stabler says with his giant apple. Sounds like every teenage boy on the planet. <laughs> and Craig and laughs too. I hated that. Whatever. Kwong says he knows it's not allowed to go on, but adolescent behavior is always so fucking unpredictable. He says that psychologists won't even label a child a sociopath because of this, because behavior is so unpredictable at that age. And then I, and then I think that it's changed by now, but I'm not sure. You know.
1: Uh, I googled it, and someone cannot be diagnosed with sociopathy, which is now known as antisocial personality disorder, mm-hmm. until the age of 18. But there okay. are signs that show up throughout adolescence like as they get closer to that age, but it's still, to this day, you can't be diagnosed with sociopathy before you're an adult.
0: It makes sense, you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, aren't children just little sociopaths?
0: I mean, yeah. They think that Susan probably knew this kid because a kid is going to stay within his comfort zone. Like, he's Mm -hmm. probably not going to do crimes farther away from where he's from.
1: Well, and also the familiarity of it as well. You know what I mean?
0: what comfort zone means, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but not just within, like, spatial relations. Also within, like, relationships. Sure. Like he probably, she probably knows him, you know? It's like the kid's not going to puke on a rando's fucking rug.
0: Then Benson's like, oh my God, the neighbor has a son. Remember Mrs. Mm Lasinski? She yelled about her son Mark to brush his teeth. He may have heard his mom bitching about Susan and the smell and went over to get free weed and money. So they got to go get him. Yeah. At the the Lysinski apartment, mom tells Benson Staler that Mark didn't see who killed Susan. He was in school, but was he? They need to speak to Mark fucking ASAP, but she's just like, you guys are fucking nuts. He couldn't have done this. Then you see Mark in the background, like, (laughs) peek out again. Upon closer inspection,
1: Mark is giving River Phoenix Amish countryside the haircut, undercurl, past the ears, the blunt bang. He's played by actor Kyle Gallner. Upon current day inspection, he ditched the bangs and is... Soup's good looking. Okay, really? he comes back to SVU in 2007 and goes on to do a ton of acting. Fun tidbit: he has a speaking role in Wet Hot American Summer.
0: He does?
1: Yes, he's credited as Bobby's buddy, and I found the dialogue. But I think he—it's the part where the kids are swimming and Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks were making out and ignoring them. So he goes up to Paul Rudd's character, who's named Andy, and says, Andy, have you seen my swimming buddy? If I can't find him, I'm telling Beth you let him drown. And remember, Beth is Janine Garofalo, who's in charge of the Mm -hmm. camp. And Andy goes, I was busy. And Bobby's buddy, this kid, goes, it's your job to make sure kids don't drown. So I was Mm -hmm. like, good for you. Good for you, kid. (laughs) So I saw that, and I was like, oh, even if you did something, I kind of like you.
0: Why was everybody from Law & Order on but hot american summer it's so law and order i don't know
1: it is the nexus of everything it
0: is it is
1: we know why we're here
0: specifically svu i feel like
1: svu is the nucleus of the atom that is
0: the universe
1: entertainment as we know it um (laughs) who am i that guy i can't think of his name astrophysicist what's his fucking name neil degrasse tyson
0: Benson Stabler asked mom if Mark has anything expensive that she didn't give him. Apparently, he was given a gift from a friend. They asked Mark to see it. It's an MP3 player, (laughs) which is cute. It's an MP3 player that he says he got from a kid that's a total geek. This kid's always giving stuff to people. His name is Jeremy Bryce mark told jeremy that he had a drug dealer living down the hall from him who's probably got a lot of cool stuff he does not think that jeremy killed her he says quote he's just not that cool i was like wow on the street benson and stabler are at jeremy's house but no one's answering stabler's wearing a cute little hat because it's raining and i love it they see a bunch of kids across the street waiting for the bus they find him and he reminds me of glenn I know I talk about Glenn all the time, but
1: I know Ugh. this actor. He was in
0: all that in the early aughts. Mm. So he's like, ah! starts to run, but they catch him in like two seconds. They also see blood on his jacket. They're hauling him down to the precinct. They're like, "Where are your parents?"
1: i'm immediately heartache for this kid also his name is jeremy and i've decided that his influences for this character are directly from dick wolf's nephew with a sympathy internship in the svu writer's room
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: okay but yeah this like the court scene and everything i skipped a bunch of it like i didn't i
0: didn't i hate to. stuff where people are mean to like especially other kids like mm. he's a total geek he gives everybody stuff like you guys are fucking pieces of shit yeah. In an interrogation room, we got Jeremy and his mom.
1: I scoured her IMDb page because the second I saw her, I was like, I have a very specific recollection of knowing her as a character. And duh, she's Lindsay and Sam Weir's mom in Freaks and Geeks.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. She's also in a ton of other stuff. She's also in SVU again in like 10 years, but she's Lindsay and Sam's mom. Okay. And I, when I found it, I was like, because yeah! I had to sift through a bunch. She has a lot of credits.
0: Yeah. She says that this is all a mistake and Jeremy was in school all day, but Benson Stabler looked into it and he was actually absent after lunch. And she's like, you're skipping school? And he was like, no. So the MP3 player he gave to Mark was actually a present from his mom. He says he didn't know Susan and didn't do anything. Okay, but his fingerprints match the ones found in Susan's apartment. He just keeps denying. They just keep saying, like, you did this, you did that. He's like, No, no, I didn't mm-hmm. no I didn't. You don't you don't have my fingerprints. just yeah. on the other side of the glass in Craig's chicken coop. <laughs> he says, We'll peck at him some more after he calms <laughs> <did> down. <laughs>
1: I like, so Ga- that's in Gabe's notes, and then after, just to make sure she remembered it was funny, in parentheses, it says, ha! With an exclamation point.
0: <laughs> that made me laugh more than your stupid chicken joke. <laughs> we'll peck at him some more. <laughs> Okay. Cabot's in there and she says that they probably won't even need a confession after the labs come back because they know his ass was in that apartment. Jeremy is 14 and can be tried as an adult. Toots comes in and the blood on Jeremy's coat matches Susan. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? The other blood at Susan's is type B and Jeremy is type O. So he had a little kid partner. Probably. Toots looked more into Mark, and he wasn't absent that day and went to basketball practice after. So it's not him. Craig wants to hold off on charging Jeremy as an adult until they get the whole story. If they can prove he had an accomplice, it could help Jeremy to be moved to family court. In the principal's office, Munch and Toots are talking to Principal Corrales, and he is surprised that they are even asking about Jeremy.
1: This actor is also in a bunch of episodes of SVU. Also, he plays a dude named Snooky in not one, but two very separate things in the 90s. (laughs) what i don't know
0: (laughs) he was named Snooky in two different movies that weren't related at all yes did he play like the same character i i i'm guessing so
1: no they were very no Different roles, different, yeah.
0: Okay. This principal really only has time for the bad kids, which sucks. And he doesn't even know Jeremy. He says that Jeremy is really good at math and art. His fifth grade teacher made him repeat the grade, and he has dyslexia. This guy also says, quote, a little behind maturity-wise. He has some trouble fitting in, but doesn't really have any disciplinary problems. They can't get any of Jeremy's friends' names because Jeremy doesn't really have any friends. Jeremy. Jeremy, they want a list of all the boys who missed school the day that Susan was murdered and want permission to search their lockers, which the guy's like, yeah. So they're searching lockers now, and in one locker, they find Susan's wallet and the murder weapon. It belongs to Zachary Connor. The bell rings, and you see Zachary standing by them, and he's like, what's going on?
1: This scene so toots is it hold on i took a video i have to send it to you toots is like finding shit in the locker and his eyes keep getting like, super big and he's like mm, "Susan no striker hmm. <laughs> and then he just pulled a bloody knife out of this kid's locker and the principal just goes oh this is a surprise <laughs> when he gets the knife out and he's like oh
0: his eyeballs yeah
1: Zachary is back in 2006 again and acts a bunch after that, but nothing like Wet Hot or Fish Police, so I don't care. (laughs) In the squad room, Benson, Stabler, and Daddy Craigs walk in. Stabler cannot believe that a 12-year-old boy is involved because he's a dad and he knows kids. Mm -hmm. They have Zach, and they're waiting for his parents to come in. Toots answers the phone and says, oh, it's CSU, and they lifted three sets of prints off the murder weapon, which Mm -hmm. he was Shocked to find in the locker. Mm-hmm. One that's unknown, one's from Susan, and one's from Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Zach's parents come in and they're soup's confused because nobody's told them anything. Mm-hmm. Dad is an SVU three timer, and mom goes on to be in some pretty seemingly intense shit, mm-hmm. like scary movies. One's called Knucklejack and one's called Hellbender. Do you know any?
0: I think I've seen Hellbender. I like. I thought you were going to be some pretty intense shit, like Fish Police 2, Electric. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Or. <laughs> electric <Okay>. eel glue <laughs> eel glue <laughs> dumb yes <laughs> says that they think Zach has some information about a crime Craigan's like go on Ted go settle him in and we're like who the fuck is Ted we don't care yeah, yeah. apparently Zach's never been in trouble he's got straight A's he's a good kid Craigan's like just go ahead and chill, finesse the parents, and see if they turn on each other. He tells Toots to talk to Zach and the parents, and Benson and Stabler are going to try talking to Jeremy again. Craigen wants them to take video and set up monitors in both rooms, and he's going to have Cabot and Huang observe yeah. the interviews. So now Munch and Toots are talking to Zach and his parents in an interrogation room. Toots tells mom and dad that Zach's lying about being in school all day. On the day that Susan was murdered and raped, he had missed all of his classes after lunch. And Zach has a confidence of a Mm -hmm. um, cocky prep school college guy Mm You know, like the guy Only who buys the mountain calm. in that 80s movie. Yeah, yeah, he's very calm. When they talk he's... about sociopath, it's this fucking kid. He seems
0: like a little fucking manipulator for sure. Oh,
1: he's a fuck. I hate him immediately. Mm-hmm. He says he doesn't hang out with Jeremy at all and doesn't like him. Fuck you. He said he found, I love Jeremy. Yeah. He's- <laughs> He said he found the wallet and knife in the dumpster behind the school. He did, this kid just had an answer for everything.
0: It, it was too it was too perfect, right? He was like, "I was looking through there because sometimes people throw out cool stuff," and I'm like, "Bullshit." Yeah, puke. He says he grabbed the
1: knife and the wallet because he was going to turn them in. He was like, I thought somebody maybe lost them. So he also said that he thought the blood... Because they were like, dude, the knife had blood all over it. And he's like, well, I thought the blood was fake. You should probably ask Jeremy because he told me where to find it. Mm -hmm. This kid is such a fuck. In Jeremy's interrogation room, Benson and Stabler are there and he just wants to go home and I just want them to let him go home. Mm -hmm. Benson and Stabler tell Jeremy that Zach is in the other room, and Jeremy gets a little nervous. They ask him what he thinks Zach would say, and Jeremy says nothing.
0: Yeah, this kid is like totally being manipulated by Zach.
1: Mm -hmm, Clearly. Jeremy says that Zach is his best friend, and they can't make him say anything bad about Zach. And that Zach didn't do anything bad. Mm -hmm. I know that the focus of this episode is a rape and a murder and the debate about children being tried as adults. But my biggest concern right now is that they're going to tell Jeremy that Zach really isn't his friend and Jeremy's going to feel bad. I yeah. only care about Jeremy's
0: feelings. Right. So on the other side of the glass in Kragan's custom fishbowl. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine it, Kragan in a fishbowl and another Kragan in another fishbowl and they have to be blocked or they'll fight. Because they're betas? Because they're betta fish. They're cute little <laughs> Kragan betta fish. He tells Cabot that Jeremy's going to be feeling weird when he finds out Zach's about to flip on him. Wong thinks that it's totally possible for Zach to have raped Susan because she was so sick and he just needed enough testosterone to get an erection. He also feels like Zach is lying about some things and he keeps changing his story that he was even involved in it. Munch comes in and hands a big old pile of fish food for him. stop! <laughs> Munch comes in and ha- Munch goes into Zach's interrogation room with all the shit from his locker. Munch tells him that all the stuff in his locker has fingerprints on it and he should think really hard about if he was or wasn't in the apartment where a woman was killed recently.
1: This whole time, dad's Mm -hmm. like, oh, what the hell? What in the crying out loud, for God dang sakes, are you trying to say? Like, (laughs) over their conversation. When IRL, these parents would have
0: screamed lawyer by now. Yeah, for real. Zach pauses and he's like, okay, I was in Susan's apartment and Jeremy killed her. Oh, God, I hate him. In Jeremy's interrogation room, Craigan comes in and turns on the TV and tells Jeremy to watch. This video is Zach saying that Jeremy was the one who wanted to break into Susan's house to get cool stuff. And then she came home and he killed her. And Jeremy made Zach do bad things. Jeremy says that Zach is lying. And Stabler's like, okay, then fucking tell us the truth.
1: They're actually really good with Jeremy. And it's mm-hmm. clear that they believe him, which I. Yeah. They have to I trap really this. Little we all know, like, just. Just be, ge- just be gentle. Just be gentle with Jeremy. Mm-hmm.
0: Fuck Zach. Jeremy said that it was zach's idea to break into susan's apartment because zach thought it would be cool but then zach hit susan over the head with a telephone when she came in jeremy really didn't want anyone to get hurt he's getting upset he says that susan fell down after zach hit her and zach told jeremy to get a knife from the kitchen he didn't want to but zach was screaming at him jeremy says he didn't know what zach was going to do with it when he got the knife and came back into the room zach was on top of her zach took the knife and stabbed her a bunch jeremy says there was blood everywhere and then he barfed and he apologizes and he's crying and it's super sad. And I'm like, oh, Jeremy, it's not you. Jeremy said he covered her up with a blanket because he didn't want to leave someone like that. And he just wants to go home. Of course he covered her up. In the squad room, Craig tells the gang that CSU is finished searching Zach's house. There's no blood. Kragan has two different kids with two different stories. Either one of them could have be the one who murdered Susan. And that puts Cabot in a predicament. So Zachary is 12 and cannot be tried as an adult and will go to family court either way. And their thoughts on juvenile rape and murder is rehabilitation, not punishment. So he'll get like 18 months in a limited security facility, which is fucking whatever. I want this kid to get the electric chair. <laughs> I want this 12-year-old boy to die. <laughs> Jeremy is older and can be tried as an adult. I mean, he could be fucking tossed in Attica. Stapler thinks that Jeremy is telling the truth. Huang agrees. Jeremy is super easy to manipulate and is desperate to fit in. And Zack is super calculating and has a lot of power over Jeremy.
1: I'm holding my breath this entire time.
0: I know. Huang thinks Zack murdered and raped Susan. So Cabot has to decide if she wants to go after Jeremy because they can't get Zachary. She recommends they remove Jeremy to family court because she's an awesome badass bitch and isn't going to throw some kid under the bus because of some other shit fuck kid. Hmm. God, I hate children.
1: In Cabot's office, fucking Liz Donnelly walks in. Why do you never say Bamf when I write it? Because I don't. I don't know. Because it's your it's your word that you wrote, and it's not. I don't know. Bamf. You know why? Because she is a badass, but I disagree with her a lot, and it feels a like a very motherfucker. supportive. She is. But she also toes the line in a way that I, I just don't, I don't know. I get it that it's, I'm playing with emotion and she's, you know, doing the, what she needs to as a professional. I don't know. She walks in, she tells Cabot that the DA recommends that Jeremy be indicted as an adult on murder one and burglary. Cabot's like, dude, what the shit? I recommended against that. Liz can barely swallow a laugh as she says, well, the DA disagreed. hmm <laughs> And she has one day to prep for court. Cabot's fighting for Jeremy to not be indicted on adult charges. Zachary was proven to be the one who raped and killed Susan, and Jeremy's involvement was very limited. So Cabot is really tasked with doing her fucking job
0: and doing Mm -hmm. it well. Mm -hmm. But Liz doesn't give a shit because Jeremy confessed and the DA disagreed with Cabot. Liz has got to do what DA wants to do.
1: Right. Cabot stands up and she's like, Cool. A win for the DA. Like, that's what we're going for. How much of a sycophant do I have to be in this new goddamn administration? And Liz slams the door shut and gets in Cabot's face. Says, no matter what, even if Zach did everything, Jeremy had a choice throughout all of it. To watch his friend rape somebody. To watch his friend burglarize a place. To watch his friend murder someone. Jeremy Mm -hmm. didn't run away or stop him or anything. Cool. Cool. So we don't look at nuance in any situation. I can't fucking wait until I'm long dead and the fucking justice system actually figures out how to deal with people while including psych before getting in front of a pile of local fucking dummies to make these decisions. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Fucking like he shouldn't be. I don't know. I fucking hate it. And it's like this stuff needs to be taken into consideration before the charges are even filed. You know what I'm saying? I just. Yeah. When I say, you know what I'm saying? It's me wanting you to agree with me. That's it. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) So in reference to Jeremy, Cabot wants him to be removed to family court to be rehabilitated. That's not going to happen if he goes to prison. Liz is about to leave and she looks back at Cabot and says, you're adamantly opposed to trying this case. And Cabot goes, yeah, I think it's wrong. And Liz goes, okay, then I'll do it. Your second chair. Oh my God. You (laughs) bitch. Right near (laughs) fucking barf. On the courthouse steps, a woman we recognize, she plays a public defender in three episodes of SVU. She's super duper recognizable. Mm -hmm. She's an actress with 122 credits. Ileana Douglas. We all Mm -hmm. know Ileana Douglas. I know her especially from Goodfellas and Cape Fear.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah.
1: Very familiar. I didn't didn't know her name. yeah yeah yeah.
0: she's one of those like character actors that's in like everything and you recognize her but you don't know who she is
1: yes she's got a broken leg and a cane and says oh wow liz donnelly must have gotten fired because she's doing cases again like she's sassy i love her (laughs) liz is like what's going on with your attitude i'm surprised you don't have two broken legs i like the sass i just like the back and forth
0: yeah liz has just given her shit for being a public defender yeah because she's She's like oh probably one of your repeat offenders broke your leg and you're like fuck you dude yeah somebody has to fucking do that job whatever
1: right and she says um actually it was one of your esteemed colleagues that shoved me and i've got a lawsuit pending
0: fuck you yeah
1: liz introduces cabot to this public defender her name is gina bernardo cabot gets a complete kick out of this lady she's a bad bitch cabot's a bad bitch i wish they They could just be friends. Yeah. Liz is talking down to her about her. Gina's arguing with Liz about how her client, Jeremy, can't possibly be going on trial for this bullshit. It's impossible for him to be responsible for much, if anything. Gina Mm -hmm. hands Liz a subpoena that says, not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And Liz is like, what fucking defect? She turns around. She goes, his 14-year-old brain. Mm -hmm. A click, clack. That's her cane walking away. I love her.
0: In Judge Walrus's office, the lawyers are fighting. I don't remember what his name is, but he's the Walrus one. Yeah, he's got a bucket of mackerel behind his desk. He's like... He's just like pulling up bones. (laughs) (laughs) Like a fucking episode of Heathcliff or whatever
1: (laughs) I picture him in one of those old-timey, dicky, button-up shirt things, but that's all he's wearing on his like wet, slick up. body, and it rolls <laughs> up into his face <laughs> under his teeth, though. He's like... <laughs> 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 Sorry.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's how he says yes or no, hello, goodbye. <laughs> 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 These lawyers are fucking fighting about this mental defect order.
1: Mm-hmm. Gina's sitting there arguing on Jeremy's behalf. She's not saying that it's Jeremy's age that prevents him from being responsible for this. He's not responsible for this because of his diminished capacity. Mm -hmm. Like, Zach is younger than Jeremy, but he's more responsible because he doesn't have the diminished capacity that Jeremy does. Right. And it's obvious. Yeah. Fuck Zach. I hate him.
0: Yeah. So Lizner interrupts and says that Gina is saying he had a diminished capacity because of his age, and it's the same thing. She's like, it's the same thing! (laughs) There's been a lot of... (laughs) Just what? Your face when you It's the same thing! <laughs> There's been a lot of Supreme Court justices against juveniles being charged as adults because it's cruel and unusual. Yeah. Gina is saying that a child's brain is not the same as an adult, even if they have committed a crime that could be possibly considered a crime an adult would do. Mm-hmm. Gina shows the judge a ton of evidence by doctors and therapists that our brains aren't even fully formed until we're like in our early 20s. Liz is pissed and said that none of these studies hold any weight. She says that tests must meet federal standards of relevance and reliability. Gina is saying that some of these tests were taken by the government. Is that not good enough? Judge Walrus says, (laughs) which means it's my job to determine whether these tests have any material value. And they all knew it. That's what he meant. (laughs) If Jeremy gets charged with shit that that little puke Zach, I'm gonna fucking flip this ding dang table over. I'll do it. (laughs) The judge believes that Gina's findings have merit and that the jury should be able to hear them. So Cabot's there the whole time. She's been hanging out in the background like a fucking folded arm little bitch. She's like, I do not want to be involved in this.
1: She's sitting behind Liz Donnelly like her mom is yelling at a cashier.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I hate this. In
1: court, lawyer Gina has Dr. Heyman. I know. That's exact. (laughs) That's yeah. Hey, man. He's an expert. On the stand. He's trying to contain his excitement to be talking about his studies, but he's really bad at it. Like, every time Mm -hmm. she asks a question, he's like, (laughs) okay, so... um... (laughs) I'm excited to be here. Uh, Oh, let me say... I sent you that picture of him with his little little smile looking at the jury Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, you guys, I have so many fun facts. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. The Stu did some brain mapping and imaging on healthy adolescents over the years and then compared them to healthy adults. They found adolescent brain activity are much higher... In the amygdala, the fear and anger instincts are guided by the amygdala. He says they are prone to these behaviors. In adults, the brain activity in the frontal lobe is much higher. The frontal lobe is all about reasoning and good judgment. Basically, he's saying that kids are prone to have impulsive and erratic behavior. They can't help it. Their brains haven't developed yet. So Gina's summing it up for the jury, saying that kids are wired this way. And Liz jumps in and objects because it's leading and the judge sustains it. Now it's Liz's turn with Dr. Hey, man. And she looks pissed. Mm -hmm. Liz says that, um, I don't get it. If all teenagers are this way, then how come they aren't all rapists and murderers?
0: She's making some good points. Is she? Well, yeah, because they're, I mean, basically what Gina was doing was saying, like, they can't help it.
1: There's and it's kind of true. I mean,
0: like, well, then why aren't all of them doing this stuff?
1: There, because there are factors. Just wait, wait till my chaser. Because yeah, Doctor Heyman reminds her that he said they are prone to the behavior, mm-hmm. and that's when he gives the jury that itty bitty smile. He's like, mm-hmm. mm, "I'm doing I'm a good remember job."
0: Remember how I said that earlier?
1: <laughs> Tell me I'm doing a good job. Tell me I'm doing a, doing good, a job. Good, good job. Good <laughs> job. So Liz comes back and says, "Okay." So some teens are rational then. How many? Um, obviously, he can't answer that. He hasn't tested every kid in the entire world. She says, well, if you were able to MRI every kid, you'd be able to tell which would be criminals or not. He's like, no. The research is in its infancy and doesn't prove what you're asking. And Liz says, oh, okay. So this is all just a theory then, an unproven theory. Mm. He says that this research is a big step in understanding how the brain works. And she says, which is just another way of saying we don't understand the brain at all. Nothing further.
0: Yeah. I love how she just like shits on his life's work and he was so excited about it. Yeah. And then like walks away. Yeah. And Cabot's like in the background like, mom.
1: She's, that's what I said. She's sitting over there like, God, my mom is so embarrassing.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now Jeremy's on the stand. Oh, Little baby Jeremy. Gina asks him if he knows the difference between right and wrong. He says that he understands and knows it was wrong to break into Susan's apartment, but Zach said he wanted money. Jeremy said Zach is his best friend, so he does what he wants. He says he didn't know that Zach was planning to kill Susan. Jeremy also says that he wouldn't have gone with Zach if he knew what Zach was planning. then Gina asks him, what's more wrong, watching somebody do something terrible or telling on your only friend? And he says he doesn't know. Gina says, then maybe you don't know right from wrong as much as you think. She's done. And then I'm like, oh, my God, Liz is going to obliterate this fucking kid. Yeah. <sighs> so Liz comes up to ask some questions. It's her turn. Liz asks Jeremy who hit Susan hard enough to knock her out. He said it was Zach. Zach also told Jeremy to get a knife, and he did. He says that he thought Zach was just gonna scare Susan because he didn't want her to yell. But then Liz is like, but she was knocked out. How would she yell? And Jeremy is getting upset and says he doesn't know. Liz asks Jeremy what he thinks people do with knives, and he says, cut things. And so Liz is like, "Mm okay, so you went to the kitchen to get a damn knife to not cut somebody? He says he's afraid of Zach because he was yelling at him. Liz asks why he didn't leave. And he's like, I don't know. Liz is getting super intense now and says, okay, so you got the knife and you were walking back to Zach and you were holding the knife in your hands. Why did you give it to him? Were you afraid or did you want to be cool for your friend? And then at this point, Jeremy's sobbing and says he doesn't know. And Liz says, you knew what he was going to do and you helped him do it. Jeremy starts screaming. and He's like, I'm sorry, over and over again. And his mom is crying. Oh, it's fucking- This is
1: the I skipped a bunch of this scene because I'm like, I get it. Yeah, I'm sure you said everything right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to watch it.
0: On the courthouse steps, Liz is sitting, which is kind of weird to see her sitting down. I don't know why it was just weird to see her sitting like not in a throne or like a chair or something, you know.
1: Or like standing, leaning over a desk with her finger pressed onto it. <laughs>
0: yeah. She's just sitting there and thinking and she sees Cabot. She's like, get over here. And then Cabot's like, well, I guess you got what you wanted. And Liz says, destroying a child on the stand is not quite the highlight of my career. And I'm like, bullshit. You loved every fucking second of it. Cabot tells Liz that she was just doing her job. And then Liz laughs and she's like, careful, Alex. You're beginning to sound like me, disillusioned before your time. Listen, I need you to subpoena a rebuttal witness. She wants Zachary Connor. Zach's been adjudicated to family court. Any testimony he gives won't be tainted by his co-conspirator status. Cabot doesn't want Liz to put him on the stand. All he's going to do is just say Jeremy did everything and Cabot knows that's a lie. And then Liz says, I'm not putting him on the stand. You are. The jury already thinks I make little kids cry. Cabot says, no, I won't suborn perjury. Liz says, well, I guess you better make sure he tells the truth. So Liz is being a little shifty Bit She wants Cabot to nail fucking Zach to the wall. Mm-hmm. For Jeremy, she loves making kids cry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> in court, Cabot has Zach on the stand. This little fucking puke. This little puke in a sweater. Best in a suit. He looks so cute. Little fucker. Little fucker. Just a fucking Ziploc bag full of puke poured into this little boy suit. Zach says that Jeremy killed Susan, okay? Cabot says it must have been very scary for him to see Jeremy kill Susan. And he's
0: like, yes, I was scared. Is he the kid that plays the doctor with autism? And then he was also in that show that was based on that movie Psycho?
1: No. Okay. The the show about the doctor with autism, that's called The Good Doctor. That Mm -hmm. actor's name is Freddie Highmore. This kid is played by Connor Paolo. Oh, okay. Hey, man. (laughs) Zach says he's scared of Jeremy because Jeremy's bigger than him. Zach also says that Jeremy was afraid of getting caught. But Cabot's like, well, you did get caught. Susan came home. Mm -hmm. Zach goes on to say it was Jeremy's fault for getting the time wrong. He wasn't scared when Susan walked in the door. And he's all
0: sassy about it. He's like, I was scared. I'm a man. I'm strong. Yeah. Uh Uh Bulltie never falls off or whatever the fuck. Cabot's like
1: oh, well, then when did you puke, you puke? And he's like, that wasn't me. That was Jeremy. And Cabot was like, I thought you were afraid, Zach. I thought you were scared and puked because you couldn't look at the blood. He's like, no, I could. No, no, I totally look at puking blood. (laughs) Jeremy couldn't. He was being a baby and crying the entire time. And this kid is unhinged. Nobody objects. They just let yeah. him go off. Zach was like, I wasn't crying even a little. And Cabot's like, I thought you just said you were afraid of Jeremy. He's like, I wasn't. Cabot continues, because she's fucking got him. And she goes, uh, and you were also afraid of Susan, because she was going to call the police. And Zach says, she was afraid of me. Mm-hmm. Cabot goes, and you wanted to show them both that you were a man, and that's why you had sex with her. Ugh. Zach stands up in his itty bitty chair with his tiny little baby buddy gets in Cabot's face and says, well, that was her fault because she wouldn't tell me where the money was. Jeremy was crying and he wouldn't do anything. So I had to do all of it. If she had just told me where the money was, I wouldn't have had to hurt her. The music is just, whoa. And Cabot's like, whoa, dude, nothing further. You Mm -hmm.
0: stupid. Yep.
1: And I'm like, Zachary, BB, where is your lawyer?
0: At Crossroads Juvenile, Liz and Cabot are with Jeremy and his mom and lawyer Gina. So the minimum sentence is 10 years, five years with good behavior. He might not get out till he's like 24. Mom thinks that if the judge says he's not guilty... He won't go to jail at all. Mm -hmm. Cabot says that the jury will not say that he's not guilty. And because the law is very clear. So mom is just disillusioned because it's her little baby boy. And I was like, no, mom truly believes that they all heard Zach on the stand and that they know that Jeremy is a good boy. She's being fucking stupid about this. Big time. Really stupid. Everybody in the room, these professional law, I'm getting chills. These professional law people are like, do not do this hmm Jeremy already admitted being in the apartment to steal and s- someone was murdered. He can still be found guilty of felony murder. Mom's like, nope, I'm not sending my son to jail. Even her lawyer's like, dude, bro, you got to think about this. Like, take a minute. She's like, nope, no way. He didn't hurt anyone. Cabot tells her that if Jeremy's convicted, he could be facing life in prison. Then Cabot tells Gina to convince Jeremy's mom that jury nullification is super rare. And then Gina's like, yes, it is. Mom, we got to make a deal. But Mm -hmm. she really thinks that they won't say Jeremy is guilty of anything. This sucks. We know what's going to happen. In court, Judge Walrus asks the jury to tell their verdicts. The guy stands up. On the first count of murder in the second degree, they find Jeremy guilty. Mom is like, no, because she's a fucking dumb idiot. Yeah. And then on the second count of burglary in the first degree, they find Jeremy guilty. And then Gina's like, she has the judge pull the jury. And that's the end.
1: Yeah. As they pull the jury, like. All the jurors hate it, too. They're like, fucking juror number, whatever, guilty. But it's because of the clear-cut law that she was, was that mom was warned about. Right. Whatever. Jeremy's an she actor. He's in all that. <laughs> He's, yeah. All oh, that Toyota! <laughs> <laughs> so... There isn't a particular crime that this episode is based on, but the overwhelming theme of this episode is juveniles being tried as adults and the debate around it, right? Yeah. The first story that came to mind for me was the Slender Man attempted murder, but remember it was in Wisconsin. Yep. But there's a whole last episode based on Slender Man in season 16. So you're just going to have to
0: wait Whoa, for that. Really?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah it wasn't nationwide news it was fucking bananas instead i'm going to tell you about curtis and katherine jones the two youngest convicted killers to be tried as adults Whoa. In the early 80s, Stacy Parks and Curtis Jones met in Palo Alto, California, and started dating. Mm-hmm. The physical abuse started about a month after the two began their relationship. 17-year-old Stacey was pregnant within six months and gave birth to baby Catherine prematurely as a result of a tear in her uterus caused by physical violence thanks to Curtis. Jeez. Curtis was like 24, I believe. Oh my god. Okay. Not even a year later, Stacy gave birth to Curtis Jr. From now on, I'm calling him Curtis and his father is Curtis Sr. Okay. The cycle of abuse continued throughout the relationship. They eventually moved to Broward County, Florida. The two were married in 1989. That was the same year that Stacy finally left for good. Unfortunately, mm. that's not a strong enough word. Enragingly, Stacy's mom accepted her daughter into her home but said she could not bring the children because they were biracial. What? Curtis Sr was black, Stacy was white, and her mom was fucking racist. Stacy also was afraid of Curtis Sr.'s retaliation if she took the kids. In 1993, she did attempt to take the kids back to Kansas, but Curtis had her charged with interference of custody and the children were returned. The charges against mm. her were eventually dropped. The kids did spend summers with her back home in Kansas, but their permanent residence was with their dad they lived in the house with curtis senior eventually he began dating sonia nicole spates and she moved in as well there were also other adult family members at times and there was a short time that sonia's two young daughters lived with them as well on january 6 1999 after at least a week of planning 12 year old curtis and 13 year old Catherine shot and killed sonia with the gun their father kept in the house She was sitting at the kitchen table doing a jigsaw puzzle. She was shot once in the leg and three times in the chest. There were nine rounds fired in total. After the shooting, Catherine and Curtis dragged their father's girlfriend to the shower as they began an attempt at cleanup. Well, they panicked and they ran a few doors down to Catherine's friend Amanda's house to get help. Catherine called friends looking for a place to stay, telling each of them that she had just killed Spates and it was an accident. The kids eventually took Amanda back to their house and asked her to help them clean up the scene. She completely refused and took them to another neighbor's. This neighbor was an adult, Frida LaBeouf. So the kids' story was that the shooting was an accident because they were messing around with their dad's gun and Spates startled them. LaBeouf called the police, but the children had already taken off to spend the night in the woods. By six or seven the next morning, the police had found them. They were apprehended. Assistant State Attorney Michael Hunt, unfortunately his real name... Oh, jeez. I know, dude. Mike Mike Hunt. Yes, Mike Hunt. Uh, He was tasked with presenting the case to the grand jury. He said, quote, We got the indictment because of the sophistication and severity of the offense, as well as the inadequacy of the juvenile system to deal with a case of this magnitude. The jury would be tasked with deciding if these two kids would be tried as juveniles, the maximum sentence being 36 months, or as adults, which held a maximum sentence of life in prison. When examined by forensic psychologist Harry Kropp, he described 12-year-old Curtis as, quote, emotionally immature and unable to realize what is happening. Mm-hmm. The big question here is Why? Initially, it was reported that the two were desperate for their parents to get back together and they saw Spates as a roadblock. The two had been in and out of trouble. They would run away. They would both get in trouble at school. Curtis had been on Ritalin for two years for hyperactivity. 1999, the year of over-medicating kids with ADHD. Everybody was pumped full of Ritalin and Adderall and shit. Mm Mm-hmm. In October of 99, a few months before the shooting, the kids had been moved to alternative schools for disruptive students. But, like, was it that? Mm -hmm. Two bad eggs with a childish fantasy and filled with jealousy of the attention Spate received that they wanted for their mother? Clean cut, simple, easy, digestible for a jury. Let's not forget that these kids are biracial, which just means black here. We're not going to sit here and pretend like that didn't factor in, considering the picture the picture that yes the picture that's that gets painted so this is the story this is how it's getting reported the narrative I read this in old newspaper articles and shit it was enraging because in reality these kids were in an extremely violent home Mm -hmm. also a family member who had been convicted in 1993 of sexual assault of a child his girlfriend's daughter was living with them young Curtis Mm -hmm. shared a bedroom with this guy Jesus In the mid-90s, DCF looked into claims that the kids were being molested by him and nothing came of it. Another investigation after a report came in in 1986 when Curtis was nine and had a bruised and swollen eye led to nothing. Then finally, a third investigation in the summer of 1999, just a few months prior to the shooting. Reports say investigators found signs that the kids were being sexually abused by the same motherfucker with a record living in their house and did nothing. Nothing. The kids oh were God. failed by every adult that was supposed to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. It came out too late after they were sentenced that these kids had decided to take their safety into their own hands. Together mm-hmm. they planned to shoot and kill their father, Spates, and their sexually abusive family member. They saw it as their only way to safety, and in a way, even though it cost them years of their life, it was. Mm-hmm. Catherine later said that quote, "At one point I was just happy to be away." I know that sounds like really messed up, but there was a point where I was just away from all that, and I was by myself, and I was safe. Think about the better alternative being locked up. Yeah. So the kids pled guilty. There was no trial. There was no anything. They pled guilty. Both were sentenced to 18 years of incarceration with a lifetime of probation to follow. Curtis is the youngest person in the U.S. to ever be charged and prosecuted as an adult for first-degree murder. Again, he Mm -hmm. was 12. Jesus. After 16 years, Curtis was released from prison on July 28, 2015 at 29 years old. Catherine was released just four days later at age 30. With the help of lawyer and Florida State University professor Paolo Anino, they've been fighting for clemency for years. Remember that the restrictions with probation are pretty intense and easy to trip up on, especially when you're on it for life. You have to check in, you have to ask permission for any, everything. I mean, yeah, you're free, but you're not. You know, the tiniest yeah. slip up and you can end up... Back in jail. In an interview after Catherine was released, she said this, quote, There are some times when I look back at it and wonder, if this didn't happen, would we have healed to the point where we are? Did it take something like this to happen, or were there other things that could have been done? At 12 and 13, you don't know about anything else. Yeah. Catherine is now an active advocate with ICANN, Incarcerated Children Advocacy Network, and CFSY, the Campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth. In 2015, she received a presidential academic scholarship for school. Whoa. Curtis was a little less... I mean, there were no interviews or anything with him. She did a great interview after they were released, and he chose not to. All I found about him is that he got out of prison
0: and is now a Christian minister. Wow. Well, I've never heard of that. I know. 12 years old. Holy fuck. Right? How do you even go back into society? Ugh, it's like that has to be impossible. I mean, do they get, I wonder if they get any like adult training because they were in there as children, you know what I mean? Like Oh, you mean actual
1: rehabilitation?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even want to get started.
1: No. Well, guys, <laughs>
0: Next week, we are on season four, episode 10, Resilience. Fucking hell. A teen girl tries to do suicide because she's raped, but it turns out she was sexually abused by family members, including her fucking dad, who is a huge fucking disgusting puke.
1: See you next week. Follow us on social media at SVU pod.
0: Yeah. Email us at SVU pod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group, please. It's so fun. SVU pod elite squad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hashtag little bit loud. Support independent podcasting. hmm And join our fucking Patreon.
0: Yeah. I wish we had like nicknames, like cool nicknames for the Patreon people. Why can't we? I don't know. I just, we'd have to think of one.
1: You mean the people that we thank at the end of the episodes? Yeah, we like squad. squad. There's, there's a lot though.
0: I guess, yeah. There Let's is try a... to
1: do it right now. What? Like, do nicknames for them while we say their names.
0: Patreon pals. And... Oh
1: no, they do have. Oh, I thought you meant like each individual person.
0: No, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, love you, bye. Love you, bye. We got to do it at the same time.
1: I don't care about that though. Do you? But
0: if you care about it, I'll do it. Yeah, I do care about it. Okay. So I feel like we've been doing that forever, and then now we, we actually just, haven't we done just... it like much at all. Yeah, lately. Oh. But the past, like, two seasons, I feel like...
1: You know what? Let's yeah. reconnect in this way. All right. Wait. Love, Love you. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And? Let's come back at 1230. Oh, that's my hair. <laughs> I thought there was a spider floating by me and it was my hair.
0: <laughs> Dude. Uh, I wish we could have gotten that recorded when I thought your husband was a ghost intruder behind me. <laughs> and he was just behind me on FaceTime.
1: He's like, I'm gonna have a hearty burger and fries for my lunch. Bring me all the orange juice you got, <laughs> and fucking. She's like, Ooh, can can I actually just have half a tomato, and I'll have the other half when I get home later? Okay.
0: God, it's sucking my head.
1: I get what you were doing, but what I thought you were doing before I figured it out was. Oh God! You know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
0: <laughs> something, something mineral. <laughs> yeah, I always uh,
1: want to go. Vitamin, vitamin. But it's not that. It's testosterone, dude.
0: <laughs> I love all you say, dude.
1: <laughs> For our elite squad patrons. Haley Swaley K. Sonia Begonia W. No. (laughs) Jenny Penny S. Up in the Sky K. Marissa M.
0: Marissa Explains It All. (laughs) L-K-H-N-E-G. Mary D. Andrew. Andrew. Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Maren,
1: Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney Dubs, Ursula S, Emily A, Katrina C, Kate
0: H, Uyunga, Nicole R, Julia P, Seth. Saf- Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Danielle
1: W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Tammy J, Sarah G, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, and Laura D.
0: nuts. (laughs) (laughs) We love you and appreciate you. Thanks for fucking joining the Patreon and helping making all this possible. Being the best. The best.